Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Well, let's go over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. We want to continue with this that we have been on over the last four weeks on the character of Christ. And uh, we've been making the statement that there are levels of glory that the Father desires to take us into, places that the Lord desires to take our fellowship, our church, our locations. Uh, But it will require the cultivation of character go there. Uh, God will not take us to a place our character won't keep us. And I've said for years that I've known ministers that uh, arrived at places uh, where their character wouldn't keep them. And it's so important that that character is cultivated. And we want to talk tonight specifically about this subject of judging ourselves, judging ourselves. And uh, God wants us to judge our attitudes. Uh, God wants us to judge ourselves since that determines our walk with Him. All right? He wants us to judge our attitudes and judge ourselves because that determines our walk with Him. And here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 The Apostle Peter, he's writing to the church, and he says, The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, this is not talking about God judging the church. It's talking about the church needs to begin to judge itself. And he says, If it begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, there are two major areas in our life that we have to judge ourselves. And uh, the word judgment here, in this application, it means decisions. All right? Decisions. Decisions begin at the house of God. You, You have to understand always that God expects that, that we're the ones in the church that God expects to set the standards on the earth. God looks to His church to set the standards to His people. And that's why it's so backwards when the church is following the standards of the world. All right? Uh, um, uh, The world and... uh, Lord, help me say this. If I could say loose Christians... They call standards legalism. But standards are safety. If I have a standard, I'm safe. And he's looking to the church to be the ones that set the standard in the earth. I've talked about this some. 
You know, I was reading in the book of Exodus, I think it's Exodus 21 the other day, and it makes this statement. It says, do not talk wrong, do not talk uh, basically evil about leaders. Oh, got quiet. Right? Because everybody today, Christians and, 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 you know, Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and everybody, you know, they want to run down the leaders. And, and I hear people from the pulpit running down the president and talking ugly about all, all, all the people in, in authority. Listen, that's how the world acts. The church is not a crybaby. Talking ugly about somebody because we didn't get our way. It, does, it doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that you agree with them to honor them. Listen, if you've been married any length of time, there are times that you have kept your mouth shut about something just because you honor the person you're married to and it was no big deal. Right? What do newlyweds argue over? Nothing. Little piddly nothing stuff. Right? He always leaves the toilet seat up. Well, dear Lord, that's just a travesty. Hallelujah. Yeah, but he ought to know better. Well, I understand, but you understand what I mean by that? That's not how we are. We're setting the standard. The standard of what? I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in peace. I'm going to walk in joy. You, you understand? And, and we've got to make those decisions. Hallelujah. We decide how to respond to the criticism or hurt or anger or offenses. All right? We decide how we're going to respond to that. In 1 Corinthians 11, the uh, Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. And uh, he makes the statement here in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, the word judge is translated again, discern or decide. If we would discern ourselves, if we would decide to make the call on ourselves, then there would be no need for God to discern it. Now see, a lot of people don't like this. When we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord. Well, it's the word correction. I, I've been saying this in this, this series. If I'm wrong, tell me. Right? Because I don't, I don't want to just be left to go on and be wrong. Is that right? That needs to be our attitude. Lord, if, if I'm missing it somewhere, show me. Correct me. Right? Correct me, and, and Lord, I'll correct myself. This is important because um, if, if 
we're not willing to do this. Notice, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, we're going to get into that. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Ever, ever what it may be. And remember, we're specifically talking about our attitudes, ourselves, right? When, when I'm alone in the car, I got to judge myself. Boy, that was a bad attitude. Boy, you wouldn't have said that if a member of the church was in the car. Hallelujah. I, I know it's just me. I'm the only one that does that. I, I know, but, but, but nonetheless, right? Hallelujah. I, I always remember I'd be riding with my dad, and dad's in heaven, so don't throw any stones at him. But uh, it was, he'd get behind a female driver, and he was the world's worst critic of female drivers. Ah, women drivers. But the funny thing is, he wouldn't say it when mom was in the car. <laughs> right? It's kind, of, it's kind of like the guy, it's kind of like the guy that, you know, gets mad and, and pushes his wife around and is ugly to her, and uh, then you counsel with him, and he goes, well, I just can't help it. But it's interesting that if it was a 350-pound uh, football player, he could control himself then, Right? Got it, got it. See, he's got to judge himself. I got to judge myself. I got to discern that's not right. That's not love. That's a bad attitude, right? In 1 Corinthians 4 and uh, verse 1. Actually, uh, hang on right there in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 29. He said, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. This word judge means to discern, to discern if this prophecy is of God. I know a lot of so-called prophets that if you said, well, you know, we need to judge that. Well, you know, I'm a man of God. Well, see, but that attitude right there shows me something's lacking in character. Even if I've said something that I believe is God and it was wrong, I want to know. Because I don't, I don't want to keep doing that. I, I had two friends one time that uh, uh, a man of God came up. And this man is a prophet. And please don't misunderstand me. Uh, he is a prophet. And uh, uh, this was uh, some time ago. And uh, it gave... The, these people a word, and, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was there. I didn't see anything wrong with the word, but, you know, a few days later, uh, these people contacted me and said, you know, what do we do? said, you know, everything they said, you know, we're not dealing with that, and, and we were, but we're not anymore, and uh, I said, well, here's what you need to do. I said, I believe he started off in the spirit and got in the flesh. Because there's part of it you agree with, right? So take what you can agree with and leave the other by the wayside. 
Amen. Now, here's, here's my point. Don't get an attitude against that person because all of us can miss it. Right? But if you say, I believe I have a word for you, and somebody goes, well, we're going to judge it, don't get offended. If it's from God, it'll stand the test. Oh, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 4. We're talking about character. Verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You know, there's, there's an interesting point there. If you know the mysteries of God, if you know the revelation of who you are in Christ, the, the, who you are as a new creature, the righteousness of God in Christ, you're a steward of that ministry. You're a steward of that mystery. Hallelujah. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yes, I do not judge my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I'm not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man judge and have praise of God. Now wait a minute, Paul. Just a few chapters on down the road, you said we need to judge ourselves. But here you're saying you don't even judge yourself. Is that right? I judge not my own self. So what's the problem? He can't be contradicting himself. The word judge here refers to condemnation. And Paul is saying, I don't condemn myself. I don't put myself down. All right? Oh, glory. Now, condemn nothing or no one. If you want character to be relevant and real in your life, you condemn nobody or nothing. All right? Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in the very act of adultery. But he told her not to do it anymore. Is that right? But not, don't condemn. Now, if anybody had a right to condemn her, Jesus did. But Jesus is the example of our character. It's the character of Christ that we're after. All right, that's the roots that we want. And he said, he said, I don't condemn you. He didn't say what you did wasn't wrong. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Is that right? So Paul said, listen, I don't care if you're putting me down. Doesn't mean anything to me if you put me down. I'm not putting myself down. The only one that can put me down or has the right to judge me in that sense is Christ. Nobody can condemn you but Christ. Because Christ is the only one that's not guilty. Now, I know we're not guilty by reason of the blood of, what, of the sins we've committed, but understand what I mean. He's the only one that's never made a mistake. 
He's the only one that would ever have the right to condemn you. Hallelujah. You're right there in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 15. So he says, notice, he that is spiritual, that's a good place to say that's me. All right? Say I'm spiritual. So you need to talk to yourself like that throughout the day. I'm spiritual. Amen. You need to tell your spouse that. Honey, I'm spiritual. Don't get mad if they laugh. <laughs> Not really. Right? But, but, but why, why do you want to do that? That's, that's you. You're spiritual. You are a spirit. And so I'm spiritual. All right? He that is spiritual, notice, judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. The word judge here, again, means to discern. He that is spiritual discerns all things. We discern by the Spirit. All right? I heard a man, I read a book that a, a friend of mine wrote one time. And he said that one of the greatest things the pastor can have is the gift of discernment. Well, there is no gift of discernment. There's the gift of the discerning of spirits, but there's no gift of discernment. I discern by the Holy Spirit. I had a situation not too long ago where somebody shot me a text. And when I, I got the text, it was number one, it was late at night. And uh, so I, I looked at the text. And when I got the text, what they had written me, Right here, off the text, I didn't hear their voice, and I didn't hear a voice right here. I heard these words float up. That's a lie. This is what they're doing. And they, this person had texted my wife as well. And so the, the next morning, it was a Sunday morning, and, and my wife asked me, did you get that text? I said, yes, I got the text, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me, and this is what they're doing. Well, two days later, we found out that's exactly what they're doing. We discern by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our walk of character. Notice what it says. He that is spiritual judges all things or discerns all things, yet he himself is judged or discerned of no man. Well, let's talk about the natural man. The natural man does not understand the spiritual man. I can't say this enough to us in the day and age we live in. You're weird. You're, you're, you're not normal, all right? The world doesn't think we're normal, all right? And, 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 and it's time, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing is, is our character is what's going to keep us solid. Hallelujah. Look over in Matthew chapter 7. This series is helping us go somewhere. helping us move forward. And that's what we want. You know, I was sharing with Lily at the breakfast table today because we were watching uh, America's Funniest Videos last night, and uh, somehow they're not as funny as they used to be, but nonetheless, she likes it. And uh, so there was this little girl on there that had, had put her Barbie doll on, on a light-colored carpet and painted her Barbie doll with blue nail polish. Several layers, and you know where else the blue polish got? 
on the carpet. And so dad came in and said, uh, why'd you do this? And you could see the little girl, see the wheels turning. Uh, Barbie told me to. And went into this long spiel about how Barbie told her. And her dad's like, so your Barbie told you to do this? Yeah. And so Lily had watched that. It was funny. I mean, it was funny in the sense of, you know, the little kid's facial expressions. But the lie wasn't funny. And so she said, that was funny. And so we're trying to explain to her that lying is not funny. Right? Because it's the cultivation of character. If a child watches that, then they get the idea, okay, when you get caught doing something, the answer is lie. So I had to talk to her about cultivating her character and saying the problem with a lie, you tell a lie and we can't trust you because you lie with your mouth. And if I can't trust what you say, I can't trust you. Right? Well, she got it. But, but the, po- the point is, character has to be cultivated, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, we're going to get into more of what this means. But this judge not that you be not judged, that's criticism. The word is censorious criticism. In, in uh, Kenneth Weiss' translation of the New Testament, he brings that out very effectively. It's censorious criticism. I talked about this in a series that I taught right here uh, a number of years ago. We, we spent six, seven, eight weeks on, on not being a critic. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure, now notice, what measure of judgment that you measure, that measure will be measured back to you. And why beholdest the mote that's in your brother's eye and do not consider the beam that's in your own? Or will you say to your brother, let me pull the mote out of your eye and a beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to help your brother. Is that what it says? So this word judge is to, of course, censorious criticism, but it also means to try and condemn. To try and and condemn. And here's what that means. It means that you hold court in your mind and heart and judge that person guilty. And you sentence them in your own heart. I've I've held court in my mind. Right? And I judge that person guilty. Amen. It's like you look at somebody and, and you just think, they're crook. Yeah, they're a crook. They just got that crook look. They're a crook. Right? Amen. Well, you know, that might be a simple thing, but what did I do? I just held court and convicted that person, and I don't even know them. That's a lack of character. That will hinder me, because that will bleed over into the way that I treat my brother and sister. Amen. Keep your discernment focused on yourself and not on someone else. I said something Sunday night. I'm not in charge of whether things come against me or not. I'm only in charge of me. 
I, I, I can't stop things from coming against me, but I'm in charge of how I respond. I can't stop people from getting upset with me, but I can stop me from responding wrong. Is that right? We're, we're living in a time where clean living is so important. I like my clean life. Don't you? The first area we have to judge ourselves in is the area of rights and freedoms and liberties that we feel like we deserve. The first area we got to judge ourselves in is the area of rights and freedoms and liberties that we feel like we deserve. Now, this is not political. There are eight major areas that we feel we deserve certain rights. Eight major areas, and we'll go through them. Number one, food. Oh, hallelujah. Number two, rest or sleep. Number three, privacy. Uh, number four, to marry. Uh, number five, to a home. We feel we have a right to a home. Uh, number six, to a good reputation. Number seven, possessions. And number eight, to live. So food, rest, sleep, privacy, to marry, to a home, a good reputation, possessions, or to live. Now, we may not go into depth in all of these, but any reaction towards the loss of rights that results in anger, whether towards God or another human being or yourself, is an unsubmitted right. Listen, we've all known people that would just get angry if they got woke up. Right? I need my eight hours. Well, eight hours is good, and I'm not against it. But, you know, there's nothing that says you have a right to eight hours sleep. Listen, think about that. When, when, you, when you brought that new child home, did you have to submit your rights? Right? You loved that child. But there was a point you thought, what were we thinking? Is a full night's sleep gone forever? Right? Oh, hallelujah. And then, you know, diapers were pretty sanitary and, and, and you know, uh, uh, non-odiferous. And then one day the odor showed up. And you're thinking, what were we thinking? We don't have any time for each other anymore. No, 
because you brought a child home and now you're submitting the right to your time being your own to sharing it with the child that you brought home. And that's right. But how many times have you heard of people that they, they have a child, they have a couple children, and, and they just, they'll, they'll say things like, I just, I just felt tied down. I just had to get out of there. I just felt, right? I just, I didn't have any freedom anymore. And they get a divorce or leave their family. Why did they do that? No character. No character. Not willing to submit their rights to their family. All of us know this because most, most of us in here uh, uh, are, are, are old enough to know better or married or have been married at some point in our life. And here's, here's the point. When you get married, it is a submission of your rights. It's a submission of your rights. And if you're determined to hold on to your rights, well, you're going to have a bad marriage. Hallelujah. Because sometimes you don't get eight hours of sleep. And when you got kids running around, you don't get privacy. <laughs> Hello? Right? Because somehow, even though you pay the mortgage and the lights and everything else, they think it's their house. I'm not being ugly about that, but you understand what I mean? Hallelujah. You, you, you can't just sit down in the recliner and eat a bowl of cereal anymore because you got somebody that will come over and get on your lap and say, can we share? <laughs> and they look at you with those big brown eyes and say, Daddy, you're good at sharing. Uh, yes, I am. You want the whole bowl? It's... Right? Submit my Raisin Bran rights. Oh, Hallelujah. Right? So if, if I get angry because I lost that right, that means it's unsubmitted. I'm not submitted that right to God. I'm, I'm using sleep because it's simple. Okay, so you didn't get a full night's sleep last night. You can make it up tonight. It's not a big deal. Right? It's not worth losing your character. It's not worth your family seeing your flesh. Right? Oh, hallelujah. Right now, I got a five-year-old and a puppy. What were we thinking? <laughs> I mean, the cutest little miniature poodle just thinks the world of me. Right? as she's tinkling on the floor. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Right? Now, she was barking, telling me she needed to go out, but I was busy. So whose fault was it? This is my fault. But I, I, I noticed something. I got a five-year-old watching me, and how I respond to that dog is how she's going to respond to that dog. I don't have the right, hear me, to get angry. Well, if you had the day I had, you'd be mad too. You don't have that right. 
You don't have that right. Right? Because character demands, especially in that, in that setting, that I do the right thing because I'm training up a child in the way that they should go. Right? And understand this. If you don't train them up in the way they should go, you're training them up in the way they're going to go. Oh, glory. Here's one. Possessions. You know, God doesn't mind if we have possessions. But you can't get angry because you don't have what somebody else has. Well, you know, I deserve a big house like them. It's not about deserve. Can you get it? Can you afford it? Can you qualify for it? Once you get it, can you manage the upkeep? You follow what I'm saying? And when somebody gets angry or upset, it's an unsubmitted right. And God, then, that could help them get a house, can't help them get a house because their character doesn't qualify for it. Oh, glory. Amen. I'm, I'm moving away from that exact point, but we'll talk about some other things. Jesus submitted his rights. Hallelujah. You know, I, I, I look at what, what God, I am so glad, I am so glad that my wife and I said yes to what God wanted us to do in pastoring churches in two different locations because there's so much that God's been able to do for us because of that. But, you know, if you think, well, you know, that's a violation of, you know, my time, and that's going to cause a, a, a lot of extra effort, i got to submit that. This is what you want me to do. God can enrich everything you have if you'll submit your rights to Him. Jesus submitted His rights. God does not want to break our will. He wants us to yield our will. God's not breaking people's will. When I was a boy growing up in church, we, we used to sing a song that said, uh, Lord, uh, 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 Lord, keep me humble and help my will to crumble. Well, there's no scripture that says the Lord will keep you humble. It says you humble yourself. And he doesn't want a crumbled will. He wants a submitted will. Your will is your tenacity. Your will is your, is your stick-to-itiveness. Your will is that desire within you to make something happen. And God doesn't want that broken and crumbled. He wants it submitted. That's character. That's character. Look in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew 5, 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. 
But whosoever smites you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue you at law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever will compel you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not away. You've heard it been said, you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven, which maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love them that love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans or the sinners do the same? Tax collectors, and if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so as well? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Mm. Here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to submit your will to this new covenant. He's not saying, talking about you standing and letting people beat on you. He's talking about response. He's, he's quoting here, it's been said, an eye for an eye. That's in Exodus 21, Exodus 21 and 24. An eye for an eye. And it's a reference to this, to a master that owns a maidservant or a manservant, and they get mad at him and smack him and knock an eye out or tooth out, and God said in Exodus 21, if you do that, it's an eye for an eye. So how do you, how do you stop there having to be an eye for an eye? You quit hitting folks. It's your response. If you never knock an eye out, there's no need for an eye to be given. Is that right? See, people take this and say, well, you know, under the old law, it was an eye for an eye. Well, I understand that, but Jesus is saying, under this new covenant, I want you to submit your will. If someone makes you mad, you got to resist the urge to get them. Oh, hallelujah. He's talking about submitting your will to his will. Do good, right? Love your enemies. No, not, not just people that have a problem with you. Enemies. People that don't like you. People that would do you wrong and hurt you if they could. Enemies. They're out to get you. He said, love them. What, well, what is your natural response to your enemy? <laughs> Not to love them. Is that right? But, but, but whose will are we after? The Father's. He said, when you do these things, you'll be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So in other words, people that don't submit their will to God are not acting like God's their Father. See, this is important. Amen. I do not have time to say anything bad about anybody. I don't have time. 
I had somebody ask me one time, they said, you know, so-and-so left the church. What do you think about that? I said, I don't. What, what am I supposed to think about? Well, but they left. Well, and? Does that mean they're going to hell because they left my church? No. Maybe they went somewhere else. Maybe they got a, God told them. Well, why didn't they tell you? I don't know. It's none of my business. There's things you don't tell me. I mean, where'd you go out to eat the other night? You didn't tell me. <laughs> right? It's talking about submitting our will to his will. Jesus submitted his rights. He had the right to eat, but he fasted 40 days. He had the right to sleep, but he often spent all night in prayer. He had the right to a good reputation, but the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. Mm. Jesus had a right to live, but he gave his life. We got to judge ourselves in some areas. We got to judge ourselves in this area, the area of unchangeable irritation. An unchangeable irritation is this, a situation that brings us frustration or impatience when the situation's out of your control. Mm. It's out of your control. Nothing you can do about it. You'll experience this with your kids, especially adult kids. Nothing you can do. This, they're adults. That just frustrates me. Don't let it. That'll attack your character. I'm not, I'm not saying just let it slide and don't voice your opinion. Don't let it frustrate you. See, the, the culture that we live in today is I want you to know my opinion, but don't tell me yours. Right? And so when they give you your opinion and their opinion, and then you go, and also, I don't want to hear that. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. I see people, I watch pastors preach and rail from the pulpit about things they can't change. And they're mad, the church is mad, the ushers are mad, the greeters are mad, the parking lot people are mad. Everybody's mad. Hear me, I'm not mad. I'm happy. I'm full of joy. Amen. Our ministries are having the best year financially, the best year, the best year attendance-wise, the best year ever in our history. We've already, already this year, we've broken all, we, we, we have shattered every financial milestone we've ever had. Amen. I'm happy. In the words of that great theologian, Phil Robertson, I'm happy, happy, happy. Amen. What are the sources of unchangeable irritation? First of all, people. People. Well, Pastor, what do we do there? Here's what you do learn to make allowances for people. Why? They're in the process of maturing just like we are. Make allowances for people. No one's perfect. 
Well, they just don't get it. I know they said the same thing about me. And somebody has said that about you. But look, here you are tonight. You got it. Amen. They'll get it too. But people can be sources of irritation because I can't change them. I can't make them change. Number two, circumstances beyond your control. Well, what do we do? Stay calm. Love people. Give soft answers. It'll calm down the anger in other people. Love them. Stay calm. Hallelujah. If it's beyond your control, this, this is a character issue. Uh, here you go. Source of unchangeable irritation. Yourself. And here's what I mean by this. Don't get mad at you, yourself when you think you've done something stupid. Well, what do I say? Just say, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Judge yourself and ask God to forgive you. Amen. That, that's important. Well, why did I do that again? Because you're growing. You're developing character. One of the worst things you can do to anyone, including yourself, is shame them. Anybody, anybody raised like this? You know, if you bring a new puppy home and they make a mistake, they, they, they uh, uh, potty on the floor or whatever, rub their nose in it. Well, I don't know why you're rubbing their nose in it. They're like, why are you doing this? Well, it's, it's an attempt to shame them. And if you've got animals, you know they can experience shame. Right? You've, you've seen it on social media with the signs. I ate the pillows. And you can see the dog, he's like, and you know he ate the pillows. <laughs> well, think about that. Think about that. There, there are children right now that are being shamed by their parents for whatever reason, they're having they're 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 behind on potty training, or they don't know as or whatever. The worst thing they can do is shame them. The worst thing you can do to you is shame you. It's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, but I made a mistake. We praise God, you recognized it, and you caught it, and you asked God to forgive you, and you're determined not to do it again. Don't give the devil any help. Amen? What are the results of anger? Well, I'm almost done. If I don't get preachy, we'll get through this. First of all, anger will kill you. In Job chapter 5, Job chapter 5. And verse 2, Job chapter 5 and verse 2. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Wrath kills the foolish man. Anger will kill you. I knew a young man that got saved in this church and just couldn't keep his nose out of people's business. Could not control his temper. And, And he got away from the Lord 
and, and was in St. Louis. And uh, somebody was messing with one of his buddies, and he just had to get involved, got mad and had to get involved. Guy pulled out a gun, shot him in the chest, killed him. He w- if he would have just controlled his anger, that would have never happened. Amen. Now, people say, and, and you remember the other Wednesday we talked about being angry and not sinning. God didn't give you uh, uh, that emotion of anger. You have a righteous indignation that's from God, but anger will kill you. Anger causes you to suffer punishment. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19 and verse 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. Because if you deliver him, you'll have to do it again. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, Anger brings judgment. Anger brings judgment. You don't have to turn there, but Job 19 and 29. Job 19 and 29. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishments of the sword. Anger brings judgment. Anger stirs up strife. Meekness brings understanding. And the root of that word meekness is humility, to be humble, to be mild. Meekness brings understanding. Meekness makes you greater than the mighty. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and uh, verse 32. Proverbs 16 and 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that takes a city. Wow. Anger is a byproduct of man's fallen nature. After the fall, Cain killed Abel. There was no anger before the fall. Hallelujah. Our last verse is Numbers 12. I want you to see this. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, This is when the Lord is talking to Moses uh, or uh, Aaron and Miriam. And he said, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord will he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God can speak to you face to face because he can trust you. There are things that God has to be able to trust us with. And that's why it requires the development of character. We all want to get to the place where God can trust us, where God can trust me with this, or God can trust me with more. That's why I want to submit my rights to Him. Hallelujah. So he can trust me with more. 
You know, one of the evidences that God can trust you with more is that you get excited when somebody has more or gets more. Amen. That's important. That's important. I've known people that wouldn't rejoice with you over something new. I mean, and if they, if they did say something about what you had, they had to bring up their own stuff. There are people that are always talking about what they have and how much stuff they have. Well, so what? Your pile of ashes is going to be bigger than mine. Right? I mean, that's what you want to say, but you submitted your rights to the Lord. Man, when somebody gets a new car, rejoice with them. Run around it. Shout about it. Get in there and smell that new car smell or used car smell or whatever it is. Make it about them and not about you. And don't walk away from there saying, Lord, why hadn't you done that for me? That's exactly why. That's exactly why. Is, 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 is because he can't trust me to not get offended. He can't trust me to not get upset because somebody else got something. Hallelujah. Well, I know good and well they can't afford that car. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. And how do you know? You balance their checkbook? Do, do you know what's in their bank account? I mean, I, I'm, folks, I'm not being ugly. I'm not. I'm saying these are the things that hurt people. And then they wonder why they're struggling because they are always critical and condemning and judgmental of other people. Tell you what, they went and got that house. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's going to be trouble. Why? How do you know that? You could go over there and take them a basket of flowers. You could pray for them. Lord, help them. Give them wisdom. Make it about them and not about you. Then why? Then God can trust you. Because the same person that won't rejoice for somebody else would get offended because you didn't rejoice for them. That's a lack of character. Because you want somebody to do something for you that you won't do for them. God's purpose in our learning to judge ourselves is so we can perfect our behavior. So we can perfect our actions and our speaking. Hallelujah. That's important. I, that's important. Because I want to say the right thing. I want to act right. I want to do right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, Father, we just ask you tonight, in the name of Jesus, that you'd help us. Lord, you're helping us more than we know. You're helping us more than we know. And we thank you for the great opportunities that you're bringing our way. And we thank you, Father, that you trust us. And you're cultivating our character so that we can go to higher heights and deeper depths. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, stand up, everybody.